started his services and said, now look, we start service at 11 and we end at noon and you've got to, you don't go past noon. At noon, we're done. And so for the first year, I mean, every Sunday he was done at or before noon. He just, everything was great. And, and of course, he was getting older and his wife and, and, and one Sunday he goes and, and here comes noon and, and they know he's just not even close to being done. And 12.15, 12.30, the deacons are standing at the back looking at their watches, you know. I mean, 1.30, he finally wraps it up. I mean, this guy has gone on and on and on. And, and the deacons came up to him and said, man, man what's, what's the deal? He said, for a year and a half, you've been doing a great job. Why all of a sudden did you go an hour and a half over? What happened? He said, well, I was in a hurry to get to church this morning, and I popped in my wife's false teeth, and I wasn't paying attention, and she will not shut up. And all the guys said, wow, he really said that. No, that's, wow, I thought it was funny, you know. Moving right along. (laughs) I need security. Security? (laughs) Check this out, guys. I cannot wait to share this message with you guys today because this today is the crux of the gospel. Like the hokey pokey, this is what it's all about. Today is the real deal. And I'm so excited to talk to you guys about living in grace. We sing about grace almost every week. We talk about amazing grace. We talk about all that grace is. But for many of us, we truly don't get it. And the people that don't get it are mainly the people that grew up in church. I mean, we've heard about it, but do we really understand it? Do we really internalize what true grace, what true living in grace is? And I want you to understand today... My hope and prayer for each one of you is that when you leave today, you understand God's grace. Now, the theological definition of grace is unmerited favor. In other words, you don't deserve God's favor, and he just chooses to give you his love and his forgiveness and his mercy. It's it's like all the goodness of God just coming down on you because you don't deserve it. You can't earn it. And so Paul went to the church in Galatia, And he went, and the Bible tells us he went there, and he shared the good news, the gospel, the gospel of God's forgiveness and mercy and grace and and the price that Jesus paid. And everybody did what most people really do when they understand. They wanted that. They wanted grace. They wanted mercy. They recognized they needed it. And so they, they just soaked it all up, and they were free, and they were happy, and things were going well. And Paul said, hey, this is awesome, but I've got to go to another church and go talk to these guys. And so he leaves, and no sooner has he left than the religious bunch comes in. They follow in behind Paul. And what happened is they came behind him and said, hey, we're glad you're saved. Yes, we're glad we're saved. And, they, and he said, that's awesome. But you know what? Paul kind of left out some things. I know you're saved by grace, but guess what? There's some laws in the Old Testament that we need to bring to you. And guess what? There's some works things you guys need to be doing. There, there's some things going on. You know, I know you're saved by grace, but guess what? There's some works you need to do. You know, you guys have some things, you know, and and primarily what he talked about was circumcision, this physical act to separate them from everybody else. And all of a sudden, this grace and this freedom that they'd been enjoying became partnered with these works that said, you've got to work your way into God's good favor. And I want to tell you something. That's where many of us in church end up. 
We're excited about God's grace and mercy. We want God's grace and mercy. But all of a sudden, somebody comes along with a list of rules, and they say, oh, it's great that God loves you and everything, but here's ten things you need to do. What's unfortunate is that list kind of continues to change based on whoever's giving it to you. And Paul said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has put a curse on you? The actual translation in Greek is, who put the evil eye on you? Anybody ever had somebody put the evil eye on them? <laughs> How many of you have ever been sitting in school and the teacher went, you know, I mean, there it happened, and they're twitching, and I mean, you know. Or maybe you were in church and you were acting up and somebody turned around. You know, and there, there went that, you know. And that's what Paul's talking about. But really what Paul's saying here to the Galatians is, who intimidated you? Trish is actually about to start a series on intimidation. And how many of us are intimidated by somebody else into thinking a different way and we begin to compromise things in our life. And that's what the Galatians did. These people came along and, well, they obviously know more than we do, so, so we better start following all these rules. I call people that do that the 51 percenters. And here's what I mean by that. I hope that all my good works add up to 51% of the teeter-totter on life. So that when I get to heaven, it's just enough to get me in. I've done just enough good things to outweigh the bad things. And so when I get there, they're going to put all my good things and all my bad things. And hopefully, hopefully, I'll have that 51%. Depending on the church you grew up in, that's how you lived. Here's the problem with that theology. It's wrong and it's miserable. Who wants to be like that? Who wants, to, who wants to be that way? Who wants to live a life where, did I do everything right? Did I, am I doing everything right? And you get so focused on making sure that you're a good rule follower that there's no grace and mercy and freedom. It's all about how good you are or not. And the rules change based on who's giving it to you. It's their standard. And it's miserable. And many of us grew up that way. Some of you still live that way. But I'm hoping after today that you don't. That you understand what Paul was saying to these guys is let's talk about the real deal. So if you've got your notes, let's jump right into this. And we're going to see what Galatians 3, 1 through 3 is all about. Oh, foolish Galatians, he says, who has cast an evil spell on you? Who put the evil eye on you? Who intimidated you and made you change your mind? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. He's saying, I, I know I, I showed you Jesus well. I know I portrayed it well. You've seen it like you've seen a picture, like you were there. And then he says this, and I'm going to ask you the same question. Let me ask you this question, Paul said. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? And then he answers it and he says, of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? That is crystal clear, isn't it? 
He's saying, man, who's changed your mind? I talked to you about grace and mercy, and now all of a sudden you're trying to follow it, and it's not working. You're you're being foolish. You're being misled. Let me explain to you what the, the true gospel is, the real gospel, what Jesus died for. It's this. We sinned. We sinned, and we separated ourselves from God. God gives us free choice, and he gives us free will, and we have chosen to sin. And sometimes it's big things, and sometimes it's little things, but it doesn't matter because God is holy. God and sin can't be in the same place. And so when we choose to sin, when we broke God's law, we had to be separated from him. And, And all of us have sinned. Would you agree? You know, the first time I ever remember sinning was in first grade. This is my first real realization. Now, there have been pictures that I've seen over the years that showed me sinning before I was in first grade. One of them is in black and white, and we're at my grandparents' house out in East Texas, and there's a horse standing behind us, and I'm standing there with a water hose. And my brother, who's two years younger than me, is standing beside me, and I'm literally spraying him with this water hose. And I'm looking at the camera like, it's not me. (laughs) But the first time I really remember consciously, consciously sinning was in first grade. See, in first grade, next to the, the school that I went and didn't was, was a, a little grocery store. It was called Howdy Doody. Maybe some of you have seen a Howdy Doody grocery store. This was, they were 7-Eleven before 7-Eleven was cool, okay? I mean, this is way back in the day. And every day my mom would give me a penny, and I would, after school I would walk over to Howdy Doody, and I would buy a piece of bubble gum. That's when you could do that. Some of you guys remember a, a penny buying you a car, so this was after that. But, but this is when, I mean, you could go in and, and, and give a penny and get a piece of gum. And so I did that first grade. That's what I did every day. And then I walked home. And, and my walk home consisted of walking near a four-lane like this, but kind of like our field is out here, but it was three or four football soccer fields, and I would walk home. It was a long way. And, and so one day I got to school. Went next door, and I did not have my penny. I I forgot it, or mom forgot to give it to me. I don't know which. But you know what? I needed my gum. I was an addict. (laughs) And I had to have it. And it was that red, blue, and yellow gum. You know what I'm talking about, the, the square thing. And so I remember walking. I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember walking into Howdy Doody, first grader. Walking in there, and there was the rack of gum by the register. And I waited till the guy behind the register looked away, and I reached up and grabbed a piece of gum, put it in my pocket, and walked out. Yeah. Yeah, don't you judge me. So anyway, <laughs> so I do. I walk out, right? And so I, I got out, and I'm walking across these huge fields. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. Huge fields. Imagine the four-lane out here, big highway going on about that far away, and I'm walking across this pasture, walking across these fields, and I'm chewing my gum, best gum I ever had. I'm Robin Hood. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm going, and all of a sudden, only the Lord can do this. A police car on the four-lane throws his lights and siren on in pursuit of someone. Me. Right? I mean, I'm thinking, it's me. It's me. The fuzz has found me. You know, I watched Starsky and Hutch. I knew what was going to happen. So, I spit the gum out of my mouth because you have to get rid of the evidence. And I sprint all the way home. 
knowing that when I arrived home, a SWAT team was going to be in front of my house to get me as a gum thief. <laughs> but I remember that like it was yesterday. But I also remember that was sin. That was sin, wasn't it? I stole from that man. I stole from him. In that moment, I broke God's laws. And as silly as that is, in times in our life, we do that. We break God's laws. We intentionally choose to do our own thing. But here's the thing about sin. Somebody has to pay. Whenever a law is broken, whenever a sin is committed, whenever there is a bill, somebody has to pay for it. How many of you have ever been in a restaurant and somebody paid for your meal for you? Yeah. And, and you didn't know it was going to happen, but your immediate thought after you get up to the counter and you, you're ready to pay, and they said, oh, somebody paid for you. And, and many of you said, man, I wish I'd have brought the kids. You know, I mean, that's you, you're thinking about that. <laughs> that's just being honest, right? I should have had a steak, you know. But, but somebody paid it for you. You know, a, a couple weeks ago, one of the families in our church, they're standing in line at Walmart, and it was after the backpack event, and there's a grandmother with, with some little grandbabies with her, and she's buying them their school supplies, and she's laying them all out on the counter, and she, the, our, our member was standing behind it, and, and the, sure enough, the lady didn't have enough money. So this poor grandmother's saying, well, let's put this back, let's put that back. Well, you know what happened. I remember said, before I even knew what happened, I had my credit card out. I went up and said, oh, no, you're buying it off. Whoop, swiped the card. It didn't do whoop. That was my addition. <laughs> but she swiped the card, paid for the meal. She said the grandmother was so overwhelmed that someone had paid the bill for her because she couldn't pay it. And a little boy that was with them, old enough to understand, was so overwhelmed, just walked off. That's grace. And, and, and so... Somebody has to pay. And the Bible tells us that what happened is that God loved you so much that he sent his son to pay your bill. What's amazing to me about that is that he chose to pay our bill when we were in opposition to him. We weren't begging him for forgiveness. We were, we were doing our own thing. And God loved you that much. He doesn't want servants. He wants children. You know, there, there have been people that talk about religion. And if you study sociology and, and governments and all these different things, religion can be classified as man's search for God, man's desire to, to find God a greater being, whatever you want to call it out there. But Christianity is different than anything else that's out there. Because Christianity is not about our, our search for God. It's about God reaching across eternity to us. It's about God looking for Monica. And it's about God going, I love Clella so much that I'm going to allow Jesus to pay for her bill because she can't pay for it herself. But that's how much I love her. What's interesting about this, guys, is there's nothing you can do to receive it. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough to get that. You can't, by your own effort, pay for your own sin. Somebody has to pay it for you. And God did that in the person of Jesus. Look at this, Galatians 3, verse 10. All 
who rely on the law, on observing the law, are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So these guys were coming to the Galatians and they're saying, hey, I know you, grace is awesome, but here's a bunch of rules. And so they allowed themselves now to start following these rules again. The problem is, when you try to follow the rules, you're under the law of the rules. And there's a curse that comes with that. James 2.10 says this, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Rules the law. So here's your first blank. The law could not be obeyed. We can't do it. The law couldn't be obeyed. Galatians 3.19, what then was the purpose of the law? Why did God allow this law to come into effect? Galatians 3.24-25 through 25 says this, So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Let me ask you something. And y'all be honest, no tickets will be written. How many of you think that speed limit signs are just a suggestion? <laughs> I'm taking a picture right now. I won't know. <laughs> there, you know, so, some of us like to think that laws are in effect, but they're really for other people. I had a friend a, a few years ago, this is before we even moved to Arkansas, he was up fishing for trout in Arkansas, and he was fishing with a local. He was from Texas, and they were catching fish. They were catching fish, and my buddy said, hey, man. Isn't there a limit or something? And the good old Arkansas boy said, Brother, that's for all them Yankees. That's not for us. <laughs> he really said that, right? That's not for us, man. And that's how many of us like to treat the law. But let me explain something to you. God's laws are in effect, and just because you don't like them or want to follow them doesn't make them any less real. Let me give you a law that makes a lot of sense to many of us. The law of gravity. The law of gravity. We all understand the law of gravity, don't we? But what if you decide today, you know what? I think that the law of gravity applies to everyone else but me. And I say, oh, really? You say, really? I say, all right, well, I'm going to put a ladder up on the side of the church. You climb up to the steeple and jump off. And let's see if your opinion of the law of gravity not applying to you works. What's going to happen? Splat, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be pretty, is it? So your opinion doesn't change the law. And God's laws are in effect for a reason. See, and I want you to hear this today. I didn't say this in first service, but some of y'all need to hear this. God puts the Ten Commandments, the laws that are in place, they are there for your protection. God puts his laws in effect for our protection, not to inhibit us, to protect us. That's why they're there. But they can't be obeyed because you can't be good enough. So now there is sin, so someone has to pay the bill, and you can't do it. We are in the proverbial pickle. Because somebody's got to pay. Here's what the law does. The law leads us to Christ. The law points to a sacrifice. And listen, it's not about the law. It's about relationship. You can't train yourself to godliness. You can't be good enough. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. What happens 
what the goal is of Christianity, the faith that's real, not a religion, but the faith that's real, is that our faith transforms us from the inside out, not from the outside in. When we come to Jesus, he makes us right. Look at this scripture. Look at Galatians 3.24. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be what? Made right. That's very important. Circle that. Does it say the law came and then you will act right? It says made right. Jesus comes in here by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to make you different from the inside out. He makes us that way. Let me ask you a question, and I think this is so appropriate since you're here today. How many of you are American citizens? Raise your hand. Let me ask you a question this morning. When you woke up, did you say, whoo? I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to be, I'm going to act like an American citizen. I'm going to earn my citizenship today. Did, you, did, did anybody in this room do that? No. Why? But do, you have to, do you have to accomplish or, or pursue being an American citizen? What are you? You're just one, aren't you? You just are one. When you woke up this morning, you were just an American citizen. It took no effort at all. When Consuela now, when she wakes up in the morning, she is an American citizen. She passed the test, and when she passed the test, they gave her a certificate that said, now you are adopted into this family. And you don't have to strive to be that anymore. You just are that. Let me put it a different way. How many of you have ever seen an apple tree? Okay, maybe you've seen a picture, you know. And, and, and if you walk up to an apple tree, here's what's not going to happen. You're going to walk up, and, and I want to encourage you to do this. Next time you see an apple tree that's got apples on it, walk up next to it, put your ear up to the tree, and listen. Here's what you won't hear. If you do, seek therapy. <laughs> But, but you don't see that, do you? you an apple tree, it just, it's just, what does it do? It just produces apples, doesn't it? Is it because of its effort? No. That apple tree produces apples because that's what apple trees do. They just, they just are apple trees, and the end result of being an apple tree is you're going to produce apples. That's what happened. It takes no effort, just like it takes no effort to, for you to be an American citizen. You just are one. And here's the point. When you become a Christian, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are adopted into God's family. And it's not by your works, it's by His grace. And the point after that is, you just need to be. You should not wake up in the morning and go, I am going to be a Christian today. No, you just are a Christian. You understand me? It's just who you are. It's not by your effort, it's by his grace. Does that make sense? So how do we stay there? How do we live in that kind of grace? How do we become the kind of people that aren't striving to be Christians, we just are Christians? I call it living in grace. How do we do that? Look at your notes. You've got plenty of time. Number one, 
Grace is a free gift. You And I put in parentheses on my notes in all caps. You can't earn it. All right, I'm about to find out how old some of y'all are. How many of you guys remember growing up the Smith Barney commercial? Y'all remember ever seeing the Smith Barney commercial? It was this really old guy, and, and, and it was back, it was an investment company back in the day that you, you gave them money and they invested your money for you. And there was this really old guy in, in the, on the film, and here's what he did. He goes, at Smith Barney, we make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. Y'all remember that? Both of you. That's awesome. I was the only one that saw that. But that's what he did, and he was this old, cranky-looking dude. I don't know what the guys, whoever thought that was a great advertising deal, but I remember it, so I guess they were affected. But, I mean, he was this really grumpy old, and he looked at it, and he goes, we make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. (laughs) Here's the point. I'm not auditioning to be on that show, okay? Here's the point. Many of us live our faith that way. Here at our church, we walk out our faith the old-fashioned way. We earn it. (laughs) Nobody wants to be around that person. If you want to be a better Christian, you're going to earn it. Yeah, going to get a hoo-hoo, you know. I mean, (laughs) you can't earn it. But that's what we're conditioned to do, aren't we? you got to be better. you got to do better. It's a free gift. You, ha- you can't earn it. You have to receive it. And that's what messes people up. Because our whole society tells them, if you want to achieve anything in life, you have to earn it. And yet God reaches across eternity into time and says, you can't earn this, but I'm going to give it to you freely. And we don't get that. We don't get it. And it becomes a stumbling block to us. I'll tell you a story because I want you to never forget this. Never, ever forget what I'm about to tell you. We talk about the price that Jesus paid. We talk about the fact that we had sin in our lives and somebody had to pay the bill. And we understand who that was. It was Jesus. And we talk about Jesus loves me and Jesus died for me. But, but many of us, we don't really grasp the cost of that event for us. How many of you are parents or grandparents? Raise your hands. Aunts, uncles. Okay, you put your hands down. When Kennedy was little, she was maybe around a year old, a little less. I don't remember how old she was. She was little. Yeah, look at that. She was a little bitty, and her right eye would mat up all the time. You know, it was it always had that stuff in her eye, and We'd get up and clean it, and it was just during the day, and it was getting worse. And we went to the pediatrician, and the pediatrician gave us some medicine. It wasn't getting better. Well, finally, the pediatrician identified that her tear duct in that eye was closed. And so in order for it to be opened, it was going to have to be pierced. And they were going to have to physically open it up. Well, Trisha and I had this deal um, where we would switch off doctor's appointments, like if there were going to be shots and stuff. And y'all know what I'm talking about. And so we would switch back and forth. Well, it just happened to be my turn to take Kennedy to the doctor. So I thought, well, I can do this. I took off work and drove her to downtown Dallas, took her to the doctor's office. And, you know, a little bitty thing. I think I had her in her little carrier deal. And so I took her inside. 
And the nurse, I signed in, and the nurse said, all right, well, we're going to need you to be in here for the procedure. So I said, okay, well, sure. So we walk back in this room. I'll never forget it. We walk back in this room, and it's a, it's a surgery room, right? And there's a table laying out uh, in the middle of the room, laying out flat, and there's this machine hooked up to the side of this table that looks like something that belonged in a wood carving shop. I mean, it was hydraulic, it cranked, and at the, at the bottom of it was a needle. Okay? And, and on the table was, were restraints for holding somebody down, and at the top of it was the, these boards, you know, these, this thing where you, you put your head, and they explained to me, here's your job, Dad. Your job is to stand there at the top of this table and hold her head still while we do this process. And understand, Dad, that if you move, we could, we could put her eye out. I have a business degree. I'm not prepared for this. Okay? And so we go in there, and they're strapping her down, and she's pretty fine. But, but you guys have been around Kennedy enough to know that pretty quick, she started realizing she can't move. And she starts screaming. I mean, uncontrollable screaming. And they're looking at me, and they're saying, Dad, hold her head still. Dad, hold her head still. I will never forget this. That little baby looking at me. And that look in her eye was, rescue me, save me, help me. You're supposed to save me. This isn't supposed to happen. If I would have allowed her off that table, which is what every fiber of my being wanted to do, she would still have that problem. She had to go through the process. She didn't understand the interim benefit of that. In, in this much way, I understand that much what God must have felt like looking at Jesus on the cross. The Bible tells us that as Jesus hung on that cross and the sin of the world came on him, God's perfect only son is hanging on this cross. And the Bible tells us that Jesus cried out and said, Father, where are you? Where are you, Dad? Look what's happening to me. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God had to turn his face away from that. He had to turn his face away. I want you to imagine for a moment the person you love the most in the world hanging on that cross for other people. But here's why God allowed it to happen. Why Jesus allowed himself to stay there. Because he could have chosen not to. He thought of you. He thought of you. He thought of you. And he knew that if he didn't finish that work, if Jesus didn't finish that work on the cross, that we could not be forgiven because there was only one way, one way. And it was that horrible, terrible price that Jesus paid so that we could be free. And that's what grace is about, that we couldn't earn it and God paid for it. Do you understand? And you need to think about that price. 
So that's why Paul was so upset at the Galatians. He said, look, you couldn't earn this. This cost God everything to pay this back. So why are you going back and trying to do it by your own works? You foolish Galatians, you're nuts. You can't earn this. Why are you trying to earn something that you can't earn? Because Jesus has paid for it. You just have to receive it, and it's a free gift. Number two, grace is received by faith. Grace is received by faith. Now listen, faith is not the same as believing in. The Bible tells us that the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So it's not about belief, it's about faith. And, and here's, here's the way I look at faith. I'm going back, I'm, this is like nostalgia day for old TV commercials. How many of you guys remember the Nestle Plunge? You remember the Nestle Plunge growing up? Come on, that's better. Yeah, I lost you on Smith Barney, but I found you on T. <laughs> the Nestle Plunge, what the Nestle Plunge was, young people, or hermits, depending on what category you fall into. There was a swimming pool, and there's this dude standing on the side of the swimming pool, and it said, take the nesty plunge. And he just falls back into that swimming pool and just covered with, with water. He is all in. He surrendered himself completely and fell back in that pool. And that's the image that I have of trusting in Jesus. It's that being all in and taking that nesty plunge, and it's just falling back into God's love and mercy and grace. And here's the thing. I know many of you, and some of y'all have to understand everything. Some of y'all have to know everything. You know? You, you, you're sitting there, and the rocket, the shuttle is about to go launch, and you go, well, let me tell you all about the engines they're using on that rocket. I, I've studied this, and the gravitational pull of the earth, and blah, blah, blah. And you're one of those people that you got to know everything about everything, and there's nothing wrong with that, but here's the problem. You will never completely understand God's love and grace and mercy. It's beyond your comprehension. You're just not going to get it. You just have to believe it. You just have to believe it. You just have to trust in the fact that God loved you and he saved you by his grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, For it is by grace, God's unmerited favor, you didn't deserve it or earn it, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God so that no one can boast. It's not by your works, it's by his grace. Romans 4, 16 says this, people receive God's promise by having faith, total trust in God, believing God, even when you don't understand, especially when you don't understand. Number three, I love this one. Grace is available to people who are really, really good all the time and do everything right every second of the day and are from Texas. Is that in there? What is that? What's... Number three, grace is available to everyone. who's everyone? All of us. Isn't that cool? It's to all of us. It's not to a certain group of people. It's not to a man, woman. It, it's, not, it's to everyone, everyone. Romans 10, 13, I love this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means the worst terrorist on the planet 
to the Christian that sits, or the person that sits in church every Sunday. It doesn't matter, everybody in between. The gospel, the grace of God is available to everyone who calls on him, who believes. That's good news, man. That is good news, and it's the gift of God. And let me tell you something today. Let us never be the people who cast the evil eye on folks walking in who we don't think belong here. Let's never be those folks. Let's never be those people, well, they don't look like me, smell like me, act like me, whatever. And and you start, in your mind, that religious thing rises up. Well, praise God. Bless the Lord. They're in my seat. You know what I'm saying? I pulled in this morning and they cut me off in the parking lot. The heathen. You know? And, or, or you give them the evil eye. They're the one you're looking over in church going, uh-huh, I know what you did yesterday. Yes, I do. No. We were them. And sometimes we still are them. And the good news is for everyone. Amen? That's a good place to clap. So go ahead. (laughs) Number four. Grace comes only through Christ Jesus. Grace comes only one way. You know, in in our culture around the world, people say, well, there's many ways to God. There's many ways to the path of enlightenment. I have no idea why I'm talking this way. It just seemed like the right thing to do. You know, I'm okay and you're okay. and We're all okay together. Let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Because God loves us all. That's true. God does love us all. But Jesus said there's only one way to get to heaven. And let me tell you something. That should motivate you. Because there are a lot of people that don't know the truth. There are a lot of people that don't know the good news. And now we are to be those vessels that go out into a world of people that are hurting, lost, and dying. And sharing the love of God with them. And sometimes even using words. Some of y'all will get that. By who we are. That the love of God is is spread because it's available for everyone. Some quick scriptures. John 1.17. For the law was given through Moses. And we needed the law. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Romans 5.15. Many people have received God's gift of life by the grace of the one man, one man, Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.21. Don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if we could be saved by keeping the law, then there was no need for Jesus to die. John 14.6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And I would put in parentheses in case you had any questions. One way. One way. But it's easy when people understand the truth. I mean, when you share the love of God with people and you tell them you don't have to earn this, you have to receive it, God loves you, who doesn't want that? But what people don't want is, oh, do you want to go to heaven? Well, here's a list of 557 rules. If you do all these, maybe you'll get in. That is jacked up. Yes, I said that. That's wrong. It's not what my Bible says. Number five, grace is extended throughout 
eternity. What does that mean? For, that's right. It's extended forever, ever, and never ending. That's right. Listen to this. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but watch this, but have eternal life. That means that God forgave your sins past, he forgives your sins now, and he's going to forgive your sins into the future. That's good news. But I want you to understand something. All this talk of grace and Paul dealt with this in Romans, makes many of us think, hey, I've got a get-out-of-jail-free card. I can do whatever I want to do, and God's going to forgive me. You've heard me tell the story of Miles' get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Yeah, Miles has a Monopoly card that he got years ago. It's wore out now. He's got a Monopoly card, and this Monopoly card says get-out-of-jail-free. So when he gets pulled over in a traffic stop, he gives them his driver's license and that card. It's actually worked a couple of times. Well, the other day, he and Trish are coming back from Texas. He was exceeding the speed limit. A state trooper pulled him over. And you know how much fun those guys are. Great sense of humor. They love to joke. So, so Miles hands him his driver's license and hands him the get-out-of-jail-free card. The state trooper goes, huh, never seen that before. Hands him it back and walks back to his car. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. State trooper comes back, hands him a ticket for $350. <laughs> then he said, I could have written it for more money. But when you gave me that card, it really made me laugh. Trish is in the car. He leaves. They both look at each other and said, did you know he was laughing? I mean, it was like, huh. <laughs> so if a state trooper ever go, huh, that means he's laughing on the inside. <laughs> Here's my point. Just because you have grace doesn't mean you get to go do whatever you want to do. There are repercussions for sin. And there have been many of us in the church that say, well, i got to get out of jail free card. I can do whatever I want to do. I can live like hell for six days and live like a Christian on Sunday and everything will be all right. Guess what? It doesn't work that way. You will reap what you sow. That's right. Good call. I may need you in my office this week. We just Every once in a while I'll tap you on the head and you can do that. That would be awesome. But here's the deal. Here's what I've learned. A true Christian the closer I get to Jesus, the less I want to do those things. And it's not about me doing all the right things. It's the fact as I grow closer to him, he transforms me from the inside out. And there are many of you in this room, because I know some of you, that you're a heathen. And sometimes you still are a heathen. But God has transformed so many things on the inside of you. There are things that used to hold you down. They're not even there anymore. And it's because God did this transformational work through the Holy Spirit in your life. And it changed you from the inside out. And you don't even want to be that way anymore. You don't even want to be that way anymore. So listen to me. This isn't in your notes, but write it down. It's not about doing. It's about being. 
It's just about being and walking in grace. I want to tell you, I've learned this lesson and I'm walking it out where I'm just, I've got more going on than I probably ever had going on in my life. But I feel so free because I realize that I can walk in God's grace and love and mercy and, and I can lay it all on him and he's going to take care of it. And, that, and some of you say, well, that's not, that's not being, you know, you should feel the pressure of all that. No, I shouldn't. Jesus said, cast all my cares on him. And he said, take my yoke upon you because mine's easy and light. Yours is heavy. So maybe we ought to just start trusting God and taking him at his word and then watch what happens. And living in grace. When you experience grace, it will teach you how to live. Grace doesn't let you off the hook. It teaches you how to really enjoy life. Here's the last point. Grace, when what you ought to do becomes what you want to do. When what you ought to do becomes what you want to do. And God's transforming grace in our lives will work that out. But the key is that last song that we sang this morning, surrendering. You can't halfway do this. Guys, if you want to be free, if you want to walk in the true love and mercy and grace that God has for you, you have to be all in. You have to be all in. You have to take the nest tea plunge. You've got to jump in and allow God's mercy and grace and love to wash over you. You understand? So here's my encouragement to you today. Stop trying so hard. And ask the Holy Spirit, say, this is what I want you to do. Lord, you know the areas in my life that I'm struggling in. You know what's going on in me. You know these areas that I struggle. Lord, I want to give you everything, but I can't, and I struggle. Stop and just say, Lord, here I am. Father, here I am. Just help me. Give me that grace. Holy Spirit, just fill me. Jesus told us that, he said, it's good that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he will be with you and he will be in you and he will help you. But the only way it happens is is if you allow him to do it. If you allow him to do it. Surrender. Stop trying to do it in your own strength. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for all the people that are here. And Lord, I just ask you in Jesus' name that you begin to move into people's hearts. There's people that have been trying so hard to be accepted by you. They've been trying so hard to be the perfect little Christian, the perfect person that you would accept them. And that's not how you work. Jesus, you died so we wouldn't have to be that way. And Lord, we know we need to change. None of us are perfect, including myself, especially me. But Father, we ask you today, for those that are here, those that are willing, that in the holiness of this moment, right where you are, if that's you, that you would just ask God to help you. Lord, help me. Lord, I surrender everything to you. Holy Spirit, change me from the inside out. Make me the person that I dreamed I could be, but it's it's just beyond me. Father, Take me places, do things. Jesus, help me. In the holiness of this moment, if that's you, and you're praying that in your own way, right where you are, just surrender to him. Just as an act of your will, say, Lord, I surrender everything to you. Take my life, 
take my family. Lord, I cast all my cares on you. Holy Spirit, change me from the inside out. If you're here today, nobody's looking around. If that's you, if if today you're at that place where you realize you just need to surrender to him, you just need to give it all to him, if that's you, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, it's me. Amen. Hands all over the room. You can put your hands down. People raising their hands. They want to be that kind of person. If that's you, let's, let's just all pray this together. Lord Jesus, you know me. I need you. Help me. Make me the kind of person that you want me to be. Today, as an act of my will, I give you everything. Take my life. Holy Spirit, fill me and change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. So, man, Pastor, that sure seemed easy. Let me tell you something. If you meant that, God sees your heart. And if you meant that right where you are, he'll begin to work on you. Because he's working on me too. So here's my charge to you. As you leave this place today and you walk out there in the world, let people see the truth of the gospel in your life. That there's a grace and a love and a forgiveness and a mercy and God loves them. And you be his hands and feet. Amen. So I'll stand this morning and I'm going to dismiss you. Lord, I just thank you for loving us. And I pray, Father, today that as we leave this place, we truly would begin to understand your grace. Lord, fill us up to overflowing. Change our lives, change our hearts. Help us point people to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, here's the deal. This is your lunch benediction prayer, okay? You high-five four people, tell them to walk in God's grace, and y'all go eat something. (laughs) Amen.